Welcome to A Seat at the Table, a podcast bringing together feminism, dinner parties, music and food. I'm Alex, your host, the creator of Spare Ribs Club, an intersectional feminist book and supper club, which explores feminism and social justice through literature, art, music and food. Each episode, I invite our guests to take us through their perfect feminist dinner party. Three feminist icons as dinner guests, three courses and three tunes being played on repeat. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome Ellen Miles. Ellen is an activist who works roots for urban nature. She started the Nature as a Human Right campaign and runs Hackney-based social enterprise Dream Green. She's written two books, been on BBC News and has pissed off the Coca-Cola company. The Guardian have dubbed her the new Diane of Gorilla Gardening. She calls herself a botanicist. Thank you so much, Ellen, for joining us today. Thank you. Hello. Glad to be here. I was worried about butchering botanicist because I, <laughs> I haven't heard the word before. And I, I, I... Oh, it's made it's a made up word. So I was, <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> for you. Wonderful. So which three guests are you inviting over for your dream feminist dinner party? So um, for all of this, I've kind of just gone with the first things that came to mind. And then I really thought through it all again and realized that actually those things were the things I wanted to do. So um, my first guest is Octavia Hill. Um, and Octavia Chill became my moniker on uh, social media. When I first kind of got into TikTok, I didn't want, I, I just wanted it to be private and like, I wasn't really sure about the platform. So I didn't want to put my real name on there. Um, and so I picked Octavia Chill. Um, and Octavia Hill was a Victorian green space activist, essentially, who kind of campaigned for access to green spaces, gardens, parks, to be accessible to everyone, especially people um, who worked in workhouses in London. Uh, and she actually is the reason that we have the Green Belt um, and is uh, was one of the founders of the National Trust, which at the time was about making, you know, the countryside and outdoor spaces accessible to everyone. It's kind of drifted now <laughs> into being about like the country houses. But yeah, that was that was her her thing. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do now with my work. So I thought, you know, I've got she has a book called Our Common Land, which is like a collection of essays. And I remember reading it on the bus and like crying, <laughs> like falling in love with her um so yeah she would she would definitely be there I'd love to chat to her fantastic and and how about your second guest um for my second guest I've gone with Vivian Westwood um I'm a huge fan of hers unfortunately I can't afford a wardrobe full of her clothes but <laughs> I feel like it's more Vivian Westwood to like uh you know make your own drunken shirt than it is to buy one for 500 pounds <laughs> I kind of try and do that um I just think she was so important I mean like obviously she's like the godmother of punk um which I think is such a key movement that's connected to like social justice and progress um you know more so than for me like hippies I think um I've always kind of aligned my activism and like eco you know environmental work more with um punk I guess that's kind of where the botanical stuff comes from as well um rather than hippie movement so um yeah Vivian Westwood I think she'd just be like really good fun I think she'd be really interesting um, and I'd love to like get her to rifle through my wardrobe as well, give it a bit of a makeover. Um, yeah, so she's my number two. Brilliant. And how about your third? My third, I went for Amy Winehouse. Um, I was debating whether or not to go to Sinead O'Connor, um, who's like an Irish icon. My family's Irish um, and she was also an incredible activist. But in the end, I had to go for Amy. I just thought she'd be a really good laugh. Um, I think, you know, I've got a, like a poster of half of my house. I just would love to have met her. You know, we were growing up in London. She was very much kind of this elusive person on the scene. <laughs> 
um and unfortunately I never got a chance to meet her so yeah I just, I'm throwing her in there too I mean those are some pretty kind of three radical women radical in their in different ways and in, in mm. different kind of slightly different eras uh yeah. Do you think that they would get on in a dinner party setting? That's kind of why I cultivated that list as well, is I actually think they really would. I can imagine Vivian Westwood and Amy Winehouse really getting on like House on Fire. Octavia Hill, I mean, obviously, because she was around so long ago, I don't have any like video of her or any sound, but just from the way she writes, yeah. I don't know. And she was this, you know, she was thought to be this kind of queer woman. She, I think she married a man, but then ended up living with a woman until her, you know, until her old age, who was possibly just a very close friend, but probably wasn't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I think reading her stuff, I just really related to her and it almost felt like it was coming from my own soul, a lot of the way she wrote. Um, and so I feel like it would be like a good vibe <laughs> around the party to have those three together. Definitely. And um, what? where is this dinner party happening? Is it so, starting I, one place uh, yeah. around or? Yeah, so I've kind of, um, I'm really pulling on the kind of like dream magical <laughs> element. This can kind of be whatever you want. Um, so the starter takes place in the past, the main course takes place in the present and then the pudding takes place in the future, um, all in different places around the world and one of them uh, not on planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> um so I wanted the starter to be in Greenham Common um mm -hmm. the 80s so like in September 1981 there was a Welsh group called Women for Life on Earth who marched to an RAF base um to protest the storage of nuclear weapons that were there um and it was kind of you know wanting to protect their future and wanting to protect peace essentially um it was a women-only camp um yeah and they called it the Greenham Common Women's Peace Camp um, and it was for, for a large while, the like largest women's protest since the suffragettes. I think there was like seven, 70,000 at some point. Um, and yeah, it started at the start of the eighties and kind of went on till 2000, um, and people would come and go. And it was very like, um, grassroots and anarchic and collective and communal living. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, I've seen lots of photos from it and some of the protest banners, and it just seems like a really radical and wholesome and um, enriching place to have lived. So that's that's where I want to set my starter sometime, you know, 80s, 90s, Green and Common, mm. Berkshire. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, you're you're starting Green and Common in 1986. Yes. What other tunes that are kicking off your evening? The tunes are, so, I mean, I've kind of picked the three tunes to be playing at any point rather than starter main dessert. So um, I've picked a song called 50-50, my Miso Extra um which is I think the first song on her newest EP which is called MSG um she's London-based she's like a British Japanese woman um but she was raised in Hong Kong um and her songs are multilingual um she's got an earlier song that's called Great Taste which I thought would work really well for the dinner theme but actually I think the vibe of 50-50 is better mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um how about your uh, second tune my second tune is um uh, Michele Edia um it's like an Italian funk proto hip-hop song by a guy called Pino D'Angio um he was yeah this guy in like the 70s and early 80s I think he was doing he was essentially like rapping um back kind of at the start of that but in a very uh I mean it's not really a feminist one it's just that this was like I've been listening to it a lot recently um, <laughs> I went on holiday recently to Italy and like had it playing a lot and it just is like uh, reminding me of like good food and good times amazing and uh thirdly 
Thirdly, um, so I have a dinner party playlist that's called Ear Food, which loads of people hate. <laughs> um, and it's like my dinner party playlist. And the first song I ever put on it was a song called uh, Make Our Some Tam, which I'm probably uh, butchering the pronunciation of, um, by uh, Amuma Sing Siri. It's like, a, it's an, from the 70s. There's a kind of a 70s thing going on. Um, it's Thai. Uh, it kind of reminds me a bit of like, the Shangri-Las it's kind of got like a slightly like western guitar riff like kind of cowboy vibes with these like kind of cavernous eerie vocals mm. um but as I was like preparing for this podcast and I picked it I found out that the title actually means papaya salad merchant so I was like oh it's food it's music for food so that's perfect mm. I mean so you've got kind of three uh very cool tunes playing <laughs> the 1980s in green and common yes um, what are you serving for your starter? So I, as someone who kind of wants to protect and improve nature, I've decided to go for a forage salad of food that you can find all around England um, that we might not realise is edible or that we've kind of disregarded or forgotten was edible. Um, so dandelion leaves, ground ivy, things like yarrow and cornflower, wild carrots, pig nuts or ground nuts um, and so on. Just things that I've kind of personally foraged before I don't know exactly what um, is around green and common, common. Um, but, you know, these are all like very common um, plants, you know, so-called weeds, uh, which we have been ripping up. You know, there's like since the Industrial Revolu Revolution, we've lost half of our native biodiversity. I think half of that has happened like in my lifetime. So it's really accelerating. Um, the UK is like Europe's most nature deprived nation. Um, you know, we think of our countryside as being this like green and unpleasant, unspoiled, da da da. But actually, you know, we used to be forests and we used to have so much more biodiversity in terms of plants and animals. Um, and so, yeah, with my starter, I kind of wanted to pay homage to some uh, overlooked and kind of uh, vilified <laughs> uh, plants that are actually really high in vitamins and just in general really good for us um, and really delicious. So would you, if you had the choice, um, would you make the salad from ingredients that are available now that you forest or would you kind of want to go back to like pre-industrial times and be able to forage for like a much wider? Hmm, that's a good question. I think, I think I would use the stuff that's available now um or you know, maybe available in Green, green and Common era. There are, because there are still loads and I think the point is to kind of um notice all that there is around us there's this like phenomenon called plant blindness which is essentially the idea that if you don't know what a plant is you can't notice it or see it so if you walk along a strip of like a road verge you think it's all just one kind of mass of green whatever but then if you really know your plants you can see that there's maybe like 24 species living there um and so i think i'd be keen for more people just to kind of recognize the different species that are all around us and all the myriad benefits that they have um just to kind of protect what we still have i guess rather than clinging on to a past that's it's too late to to cling on to now and how about for your main okay <laughs> so, <laughs> so for my main so i'm like you know as like an eco-feminist i'm i like don't like i'm not a meat eater all of this stuff um i was planning to have like a completely vegan meal and then i was like you know what let's like pull on the strings of this being a uh, fantasy so um one billionaire at random <laughs> basically <laughs> and this will be broadcast to them like a month in advance mm -hmm. um so you know everyone gets a month warning 
in advance to distribute their wealth to worthy causes um, if they don't want to be on the list. And then at the end of the, you know, and then when the time comes, it's they're just randomly picked. So they're all kind of hopefully quaking in their little booties. Um, and I would like this meal to be in space, <laughs> partly just to tie into the billionaire theme and also like, why not just be magically transported to space? I doubt I'll ever in my lifetime afford the like a quarter of a million <laughs> ticket. Um, and I don't obviously agree with like the kind of space race, SpaceX programs, um, which are just for like billionaires to play in space and produce like, you know, kind of produce all these emissions. Um, but yeah, so maybe here hypocritical, but I would like it to be magically in space. Um, and yeah, I feel like my guests would be on board with this too. <laughs> um, I think so. Although, although you can, I mean, Vivian Westwood and Amy Winehouse were not uh, billionaires, but they were multi-millionaires. I well, I mean, but you know, there's this thing that's like the difference between being a millionaire and being a billionaire. Mm -hmm. So I think a, a million seconds, right, is yeah. 11 days, which is fucking long in seconds. Yeah. A billion seconds is 34 years no it's a good it, no fair enough. Like, it's, a billion is so much more than a million yeah. um it's, it, I, you could like change you could genuinely as a billionaire change the course of the like planet completely, completely. <laughs> um no i mean i i can't condone uh cannibalism nor violence but no neither i mean obviously yeah. like i have no <laughs> but this is a very inventive an inventive course so you're in space yeah um in one of those presumably the the virgin space kind of cruise yeah I'd quite like it to be almost in like a kind of 60s like um you know retro futurism kind of bubble mm -hmm. and I think I might like it to be like a kind of fondue just to kind of <laughs> like make it all a bit more surreal <laughs> kind of lie in the moon fondue what I'm imagining is uh, your starter, you, you're all kind of picnicking on Green and Common yeah, exactly. in kind of 70s, 80s garb. Yeah. And then get into a time machine and get catapulted into space. And suddenly you're all wearing kind of 60s. Yeah. What are those? A PVC. Uh, <laughs> yeah, futuristic kind of latexy 60s space. Yeah. Maybe there's an alien there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> this may, I mean, it makes complete sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I was originally thinking King Charles, just because like my fam, my family are Irish, and I was like, I feel like you know, English monarchy might be fair game. Um, but then I just thought, you know, I, he's annoyingly doing more for the environment than our actual prime minister at the minute, and it's mm -hmm. kind of held into account in terms of Rishi not wanting to go to COP and things. Mm -hmm. um, so annoyingly. I think he might be helpful <laughs> to us a bit now. Um, so, but I mean, it could be him. He's a billionaire, so we'll see. Mm. So, how about for pudding? Um, so, for pudding, I would like to go to the future. Um, I would like to go to um, Gaza in two years' time. Um, at which point, I hope. Uh, well, in this future, I've imagined anyway. Um, the bombing has stopped um and both sides are kind of harmoniously living and there's you know palestinians are free from this kind of colonial oppression um and i wanted to have some medjool dates which i have um i got this idea because they're currently in my drawer um in my kitchen uh they're kind of one of the few things we can buy that palestine can export to kind of you know to support their economy and so on um and some watermelon which is like a symbol of the, the palestinian flag when the 
you know, in areas where they're not um, allowed to to fly the flag. Um, so yes, not another like another political one. I just I felt like um, it's it's an important issue, and I felt like I when I come on and do like public speaking events, it's useful to use that platform to advocate for um, justice um, and you know social and climate justice are so completely interlinked and decolonization um is fundamental to any kind of intersectional for me you know feminism um and environmentalism so i thought it was apt to kind of mention the need for decolonization in palestine mm. i mean it's a pretty powerful end <laughs> and i'm hoping that um what we're imagining is a Palestine that has been able to rebuild and you're sitting perhaps on the Palestinian coast mm. um, eating beautiful medjool dates and watermelon with yeah. your three guests yeah that's what I'm hoping for I mean I nearly went for Willy Wonka's lickable wallpaper but to <laughs> <laughs> like the tone at the end but no <laughs> so once you've finished your dessert mm. are you making your way back to present day London or is that kind of where the evening ends I think maybe we would end in my flat um just so that we're you know to kind of bring us all ground us all back to reality for a moment um and also because who wouldn't want to have these amazing women hanging out in your flat mm. um so yeah maybe that um and you know have some tea <laughs> have an imperity or digestive um yeah get them to sort my wardrobe out etc <laughs> I mean I feel like for Vivian and Amy something about them being here I feel like they would kind of roll the punches and be able to deal with the kind of amount of time travel that you're doing yes I don't I think Octavia is gonna <laughs> find this quite confused there's gonna be a lot of contextualization that she, she's just gonna need a lot of she was quite a visionary to be fair she really yeah. liked her. She, she had a lot she had a lot of vision and I think I don't know I feel like it's what this like these memes where people are like oh things that would kill a Victorian like, <laughs> yeah. and it's like one hot Dorito and it's like they were like working in chimneys and like down mines like I think they were a lot harder than we were <laughs> you yeah. know like I actually think they had a lot more to contend with um yeah. and were probably tough as nails compared to like our, our kind of lifestyle now mm -hmm. so she'd probably be the you would probably be up for it yeah 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 <laughs> so um your evening has ended at your flat in London um what do you feel like your guests will have got from that evening or what do you think you would have learned from that dinner party mm, it's a good question I think a lot of it is resting on the meals but I think hopefully the most interesting stuff will have come out of the conversation Mm -hmm. um, and if only I could imagine what <laughs> those three women would say when in a room together but hopefully um I don't know I'll have been left with like a renewed appreciation for each of them um and they'd have left with renewed appreciation for themselves and I'd leave with more fuel and fire to kind of go on and keep doing things in the world mm. um you know I think sometimes you need this kind of coven of you know community and women I think sometimes when I felt the most like burnt out or like just overwhelmed um or you know lacking in hope with just the state of the world like, you know 
gathering with like-minded people and in particular women mm. um has helped more than anything mm. how do you feel community plays a part in the work that you do the, the importance of community um I think community keeps you going because when you're you know I've had times where I've literally had a panic attack just before I've been about to go up on stage and like chair a panel um and at that point you know the, my my friends who I've had in this space have got my back and kind of stepped up and helped me through it or like taken over the chair slot and I've just kind of been able to sit there <laughs> quietly um and you know a lot that's just one kind of concrete example but there's so many ways in which like having people around you helps when you're flagging in any way to like catch you and support you and remind you that you're great but also I guess on the other side like to kind of keep you accountable as well um but in either case it's like about helping you keep going mm -hmm. um and also it just makes things more joyful and fun I think often in this space of like activism in whatever capacity we're dealing with difficult and serious issues mm -hmm. um, and I think you know a lot of for the climate space a lot a lot of what makes it easier and more sustainable is by kind of centering joy and making it more fun and I think that I'll kind of tackle two issues in the climate space I think there's kind of two main problems one of which is like other people you know people not being interested people not believing you people not um wanting to get involved and the other is like internally within the climate space people burning out people attacking each other people kind of like you know all the one-upmanship and just the general kind of burnout that we have and I think centering fun will remediate both of those issues it'll like help us keep going and help us kind of burn out less and want to keep going and it'll also bring other people in rather than being kind of bashed over the head with the graph which people don't internalize and can't really relate to having a more of a fun and hopeful story that we can bring people in on um and paint like positive pictures in a way that's like makes the movement seem like a fun thing to get involved in um will make it more accessible um and more desirable I think for people to kind of get involved so yeah I think communities are one of the ways that we can make it more fun um and therefore make it more powerful impactful I mean on on that subject uh, I, some of our listeners may, may never have heard of guerrilla gardening and botanical yeah, probably <laughs> <laughs> um can you tell us a bit more about uh it and, and how you first kind of got into it yeah so I actually first got into guerrilla gardening just um in 2020 when the lockdowns happened um because you know my local park was closed like you know we didn't have like a proper garden we just had like a bit of astroturf and all like like a lot of people and lots of people in the area didn't have anywhere to grow anything or to connect to nature or to access nature um so kind of in the spirit of like a mutual aid group I guess like a bit of a social bolster for people um I started a guerrilla gardening group and like I didn't know how to garden it had never been something that I was taught growing up it wasn't part of my like family you know I don't really remember my parents ever doing any gardening apart from like mowing the lawn <laughs> um and it was you know I reached out on a mutual aid group and nextdoor.com and all that stuff and kind of learned to garden in the street with all of these people around me we'd go from you know everyone would each week nominate a different place um you know whether it's like all the tree beds along the street or like the grass lawn in front of someone's estate um and we'd go and plant whatever was right for that season so whether it was bulbs or seeds or whatever it might be um or just kind of pruning things and litter picking <laughs> um we'd go and 
you know, socially distance and health in a healthy way, uh, have a chance to connect to nature and, and make our area greener as well and help to kind of redress some of the inequalities in nature access in urban areas um, by, you know, not waiting for the council to do it, but by doing it ourselves. I mean, how do you feel that it's kind of changed you getting involved in this space? Massively. I mean, so I, like in a few ways, so I've lived in Hackney all my life um, and I never really felt like a sense of belonging there or like a sense of like community or like, you know, like having any kind of sense of ownership in, in the area where I live. Mm-hmm. Um, and since like doing guerrilla gardening, since like planting in public places with members of my community who are truly representative of the local community and not just like my social bubble, but like actually people of like all ages, all backgrounds, all like walks of life. I now feel uh, like more of a sense of belonging in the same way as like, you know, being able to put your own pillows around your house or whatever, like putting your own final touches in makes it feels like your home. Being able to have a say in your neighborhood as a community, which I think is people's right. Mm. Uh, you know, we used to have commons and now we don't, but that's not the natural state of things. We should, everyone should have a say in the place where they live. Um, you know, public space isn't really public anymore and it should be. Um, that collective action has made me feel you know that community and that belonging to the space and to the people that I didn't have before and it's also given me a sense of like agency and power that I think is so lacking today in terms of like people feeling like oh there's nothing I can do you know I can't change the world Um, and even climate action is often like a case of inaction so like not taking flights not eating meat not using plastic straws not buying fast fashion it's all about like not doing things and limiting your negative impact rather than actually having a positive impact and with guerrilla gardening by planting something into this like derelict or like life bear space you're adding beauty you're adding biodiversity you're like improving the air quality you're improving people's mental health you're um you know remediating the urban heat island effect all of these things to whatever extent you're creating somewhere for bees to go like you are making a visible tangible impact with your own two hands um that you know you can immediately see that you've done something good in the world and it's not just about limiting your negative impact but it's actually about having a direct positive one um and that i think instills not only in me but in those people who i've done it with the sense of like oh i can do this and that leads on to more and more impact and kind of community collective grassroots action of people coming together and changing things and having their voices heard Mm. and you consider yourself um an eco-feminist yeah (laughs) whatever that means I think so (laughs) I mean I think it's got it's got a broad meaning that it's changed over time but basically how does your feminism kind of intersect with this work on climate action and and ecology and and kind of urban nature well I think so access to nature is you know it's a form of social um, inequality Uh, and I think feminism and eco-feminism for me is all about looking at every kind of oppression fully intersectionally Um, and you know until everyone has equal footing and everyone is free then like none of us are so you know the amount of nature that you have around you, the amount of contact with nature directly affects your health and happiness in so many ways. Like um, one scientist, Dr. Ching Lee, um, wrote in my first book, Nature's Human Right, that um, he is in, in his research found that daily access to nature is as vital to our well-being as regular exercise and a healthy diet. And a lot of people don't have that. And it's just one way in which people are being kind of, you know, they're like wealthier, more like whiter areas tend to be leafier and greener. And then like areas which are more, 
um, lower income households and people of color have less. Um, and it's just another way to kind of exacerbate and compound health issues. Um, and also it's, you know, linked to climate change, um, air quality, um, which, you know, as we know, the more greenhouse gas that release into the air, the, the warmer the earth gets and it's directly or like disproportionately affecting the global south. Um, and it's disproportionately affecting women in the global south, you know, all of these things intersect. So like when we have more greenery, there's less pollution, it helps to like mitigate um, global warming, it helps to mitigate like the urban heat island effect and all of these things that can like disproportionately impact women, people of colour, like marginalised communities um, of all like all kind of intersections. So I think it's just all connected. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, also like greater connection to nature makes people better environmentalists. Like a lot of children don't get to connect to nature as they're growing up. Like it's not something everyone gets the privilege of having in school. Forest school is like incredibly privileged. Like, as I said, I didn't learn to grow anything until I was like in my mid twenties. Um, so it's a way of helping people to kind of foster a love for nature that will grow into adulthood and allow them to not only have better mental health, but also kind of like be stronger advocates for the environment um, as a result of being able to love it and understand it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a very long winded answer. <laughs> I just, it's all, it's just, it's all connected. Mm. Um, and it's all designed to kind of help people um, as well as the planet. I mean, I guess it's also this, this interesting, um, contrast between a kind of young activist getting involved with guerrilla gardening compared to the usual image of gardening as being something that maybe pensioners have time to oh, do yeah green-thumbed grannies and that kind of thing but I mean how do you feel about that I guess that stereotype and in your work I mean I'm a white middle class person so I feel like I'm not doing that much to dramatically like <laughs> alter, alter what gardeners are seen as um, a friend of mine, Tayshan Hayden-Smith, is a guerrilla gardener and he um, he started guerrilla gardening because he lives on the uh, estate where the Grenfell Tower um, is and was. And he, he started doing that as a direct response to that tragedy um, and that disaster by, you know, he wanted to kind of get the community together to instill hope and just to kind of collectively grieve by creating something. Um, and he is, you know, he's a young black man and he is very much like, challenging um stereotypes of what gardeners are uh, much more than I could do <laughs> um so yeah search him if, if you're interested in that I think there is like a big tide turning now um and I think people are getting more into nature you know there's groups like flock together which is like um a PRC led uh bird watching group where it started as a bird watching group and now it's really spreading out into much more um I think yeah similarly for me though I think lockdown was a big catalyst for people to want to get into nature and to realize like how much we need it um for our bodies and for our minds um so yeah I think I'm like one very small puzzle piece in that in a much wider picture um of brilliant people doing um really brilliant things uh so yeah not definitely not my uh rebrand of nature there but I'm glad <laughs> to be kind of like um part of a, a change for getting more people making just democratizing it basically and I think that's what guerrilla gardening does is it because it's you're not gardening you don't need a garden to do it and because it's all based on like a sharing economy like you know everything that I've ever planted has been like donated or like lent by neighbors or given by a community garden or you know the tools are all shared and borrowed um it doesn't cost anything to do and it's you know it's and yeah you're doing it in public so it's just accessible to to everyone basically um and that's why I think it's powerful and that's why I love it
I mean, how would you recommend someone getting involved with gorilla gardening, especially those who maybe have never gardened before, but maybe if they have never um, or if they don't currently have kind of space to have their own garden, what would be the first steps? Um, I think the first thing you can do is just take a kind of one minute walk from your front door and just keep your eye to the ground and see if there's any patches of soil that currently don't have any life in them. Mm-hmm. One of the best places to start is tree beds um, because trees, you know, it's not natural in the wild for trees to have to be completely bare at the base. Um, it's actually like not good for the soil. It's not good for the trees. Um, so planting things like bulbs and just ground cover can be a great way to start that. Like this time of year is good for planting spring bulbs, mm-hmm. daffodils, um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it's really easy. You just need to like make a hole in the ground that's twice as high as the bulb is tall, uh, put the roots face down, cover it up, water it, and then you're done. You can also scatter native wildflower seeds. So just Google seeds like UK native wildflower seeds. And what native means is they're just kind of, they've evolved in this area. So they're um, already adapted to the environment. They're like better food for wildlife and so on. It's all kind of like part of this ecosystem. Um, and just ch- and also because they're adapted to the area, they'll they'll be more likely to kind of survive and thrive. So just chuck them on the ground, basically, um, and then you're done. Um, I mean, there's a whole I've I've written a book <laughs> called Get Gorilla Gardening, which is a handbook for planting in public places. Um, so if anyone's like really looking um, for like inspiration and plant lists and like all the different kind of places you can plant, um, pick up a copy of that. It's got loads of stories in it um, from gorilla gardeners from around the world, including Taishan, including a few other people um and like yeah amazing transformations that people have made um in various different ways if people yeah if you want to find out more there's a whole book about it (laughs) amazing um and I guess what kind of what do you want to see from from your work what is kind of without becoming I guess too utopian (laughs) how how does your future kind of how does in the future guerrilla gardening look to you well, there's a campaign called Right to Grow at the minute, which was actually started by a an organisation called Incredible Edible. And they are, and so the city of Hull has just been the first city in the UK to um, pass the Right to Grow, which is essentially the right for people to plant food in public soil. Um, and so the future I envisage is that everyone has accepted this and that people can plant not only food, but also flowers in these kind of neglected, um, bare patches of soil. Um, and that it's common for you know to walk around and see communities growing and planting in these public spaces essentially like a recommoning of public land Um, because at the minute the kind of council controls all of what we can do in public land and like you know often they don't have the resources or the time to make it greener Um, but they want to make it greener because they've got these targets and like biodiversity targets and mental health targets so it just makes complete sense to give it to the communities who want to be able to plant there, who want to be able to have space to plant and, you know, can put their time and um, effort into it um, and maintain it where the council aren't able to or don't want to. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, and I'm part of another campaign called 30% Green, which says that 30% of all urban areas should be covered in greenery. I'd like it to be at least 50%, but I think my future would be, uh, yeah, cities that are more green than grey and are maintained and kind of, um cultivated by local communities Mm, lovely um and I always ask my guests one final question which is uh what are you doing on an everyday basis in a small way to become a better feminist either for yourself or for those around you um 
I think the two are kind of interlinked. Like when you work on yourself, it benefits other people. And when you kind of help other people, you um, feel good too. I think one thing I'm trying to do is, I don't know, I'm, this is such a difficult question because I feel like there's loads of small things, but none of them feel super meaningful. Um, I think just doing kindnesses that are unseen mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, that can be to anyone and anything. It doesn't have to be to other women, but, you know, it can be. And I just think trying to, uh, I think in today's world, a lot of stuff is like on social media or just like people are kind of doing a lot of stuff um, or worrying about the optics on stuff. But I, I'm trying um, this is also like an AA thing, so I don't know if this <laughs> to do like one kind of unseen kindness a day. Um, and it's good for me and it's good for everyone else, I guess. I mean, that's a, a good actionable kind of thing to, to end on. Thank you so much, Ellen, for joining us today. Thank you. Um, um, thank you for bearing with my kind of chaotic <laughs> 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 No, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure.